Media institutions and the messages they distribute become critical to the exercise of power in the mass society. Mass societies are characterised by a balance between coercion and consent, where other institutions like the courts and prisons operate a coercive mode of power. Media institutions exercise power via consensus or agreement. Coercive modes of power are the threat and use of direct force to make populations act in a certain way. Authoritarian societies are more coercive than consensual. They rely on a strong military and police force to control people and their daily lives. While coercive modes of power may seem quite obvious, consensual forms of power are more subtle. They operate by establishing a way of life that people feel makes common sense. They present an idea about what constitutes a good life and a sense that this life is attainable by following certain rules and norms. Coercive modes of power are direct. If you break some rule, like commit an act of violence, the state will come and physically lock you up. But for most part, the modes of power we encounter every day are consensual. They nudge us toward, suggest and affirm particular ideas and actions. They indicate what kinds of people get rewarded and have the good life and who is excluded. Over time, we learn to understand how the rules work and we learn to monitor ourselves and our own behaviour. We learn to make judgments about how to follow the rules based on what we understand the rules and the consequences of not following them to be. Media and the meanings they create and disseminate play a critical role in teaching us the rules, rewards and modes of life that will be affirmed. The relationship between meaning and power is a building block of our understanding of media and society. To begin, we start with this claim. Meanings are part of the exercise of power because meanings shape how we understand the world and how we understand the world shapes how we act in the world and how others act toward us. Exercising power enables us to get things done in the world. Power is not a bad thing. In many ways, it is an important part of social organisation in a mass society. Of course, power can involve force and violence, but, more importantly, we should pay attention to how power is subtly written into the everyday ideas and ways of life around us that are encouraged and discouraged. How is the common sense established? Who benefits and who loses? Who is visible and who is invisible? Who is included and who is excluded? In 2014, unarmed American teenager Mike Brown was shot and killed in Ferguson, Missouri, attracting attention from media outlets around the world. Brown's death along with that of Trayvon Martin and the deaths of many young black men before and afterwards, became symbolic of the forms of coercive power leveraged to control black communities across the United States. Movements like Black Lives Matter emerged to draw attention to what were seen as disproportionate forms of coercive power. Disproportionate police presence, arrests, questioning, prison sentences and ultimately deaths in black communities compared to other communities with similar crimes. Yet, Brown's death in particular also drew attention to the role of consensual forms of power and how both coercive and consensual forms of power work together to control black communities in the United States. After Brown's death, 
Some media outlets reporting the story ran a photo of Brown in his graduation cap and gown. Other media outlets ran a photo of Brown on his front porch, wearing a basketball singlet and holding up two fingers, which was interpreted by many media outlets as a gang sign. In response, young Americans took to Twitter to draw attention to these differences in the media representations as a form of consensual power, one that through promoting the idea of young black men as urban criminals made it seem normal or common sense that black men were under such intense police scrutiny and subject to such violence. With the hashtag, if they gunned me down, young people from across the US posted two photos of themselves, one showing the idea of success and respectability in a cap and gown, dressed for church or in a military uniform. The other was a photo of themselves dressed more casual or partying, one that could be read as bad or criminal by people who did not know them. With the two photos, young people asked, if the police shot me, which photo would the media choose to represent me? In other words, if the police killed me, how would the media justify my death as normal, warranted or deserved? The original hashtag creator of If They Gun Me Down, CJ Lawrence, a lawyer from Jackson, Mississippi, explained the motivation behind the campaign to CBS News in the US. What I truly feel is that we have opened a, a new door with regard to media accountability um, and forced media to look at itself in perhaps a different light than it has before because it is the number one trending topic in the world, or was at one point. Uh, it was a story that they had to cover. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's, it's much bigger than just trying to reclaim Mike Brown's image. If we could do anything in the world, it would be to reclaim his life. But beyond simply criticizing the media, it's about showing that you cannot capture the essence of a human being with one photo, no matter who they are, and that we all deserve to be treated with human rights, all deserve to be treated with, with, with common dignity, and all deserve not to be shot down in the streets, no matter what we have on, no matter what our classification is, no matter what our education level is. You cannot determine who a human being is simply by a glance of them or, or a quick image of them, a snapshot. Through this campaign, young Americans drew attention to two modes of power. The coercive power that led directly to the deaths of unarmed black men by police, and the other to the consensual forms of power that put black men at risk of police violence. Representations of young black men that support the idea that most black men are disruptive criminals an idea that made excessive force against young black men seem normal or common sense, whether those individuals posed an actual threat or not. Here, the campaign If They Gunned Me Down attempted to highlight how these two forms of power work together and the tragic consequences both coercive and consensual forms of power have had in black and other marginalised communities. We also see the role of power in two infrastructures, the state in its coercive forms of power through the police force, along with a more fragmented mode of power operated by media and cultural industries. Within the media industries, we see the battle over the flow of ideas in real time. First, with the two representations of Brown in traditional media outlets, through the selection of the post-mortem photo to represent him, and then with young people across the US drawing attention to the mechanics of this media decision-making, and its influence on the flow of ideas, 
and ultimately the effect that those ideas had on the physical safety of young black men in the US. Let's weave together some threads that we've spun so far. Media technologies are used to exercise power in three ways. Firstly, by creating a network or infrastructure that controls the flow of ideas. Within media institutions, a professional class emerge who have the power to create the narratives that shape our society. Secondly, by creating and circulating meaning. The media every day tells us a story about what the good life is, how to live it, and what normal is. This is part of the exercise of power in that it legitimates particular groups as right and good, and others and their ways of life as wrong and bad. It affirms particular ways of thinking and living our lives, and it affirms particular forms of coercive power and violence in certain communities. Thirdly, media technologies collect and process information. They are key instruments for monitoring people. Sometimes that monitoring is used in direct and forceful ways to identify criminals and apprehend them. But monitoring is also used in more subtle ways to nudge, suggest and shape the flows of ideas that we are immersed in. Part of Facebook's capacity to shape a story about everyday life in your newsfeed, for instance, rests on its capacity to customise that feed to your interests by monitoring you and creating a kind of feedback loop of influence. Let's conclude then with an excerpt from The Engineering of Consent, a 1947 essay by Edward Bernays, a founding figure of modern public relations. He writes this, The tremendous expansion of communications in the United States has given this nation the world's most penetrating and effective apparatus for the transmission of ideas. Every resident is constantly exposed to the impact of our vast network of communications, which reach every corner of the country, no matter how remote or isolated. Words hammer continually at the eyes and ears of America. The United States has become a small room in which a single whisper is magnified thousands of times. Knowledge of how to use this enormous amplifying system becomes a matter of primary concern to those who are interested in socially constructive action. Bernays maps out the consequences of the creation of a media infrastructure that spans a nation and distributes ideas into the daily lives of a vast population. This media system becomes a critical element in shaping and managing societies. For us, the single whisper in a room is now amplified globally. The technologies of the mass society collapse time and space, and in doing so enable the management of enormous populations of people. During the 19th and 20th centuries, technologies like railway, telegraph, newspapers, cinema and television emerged that each transported people, goods and ideas around the world. Before these technologies, news, people and object from outside your immediate surroundings would circulate very slowly. Other people and their ways of life would feel very distant most of the people and objects encountered each day were produced within your immediate surroundings by people you knew. After the emergence of these technologies, however, the circulation of goods, people, and the ideas they carried with them began to speed up. Think of the speed of a train carrying newspapers or reels of film from town to town, to a telegraph or radio network transferring sound across a continent, to the internet distributing audiovisual information around the globe. 
With infrastructure for transporting goods, people and ideas over distance more quickly, populations spread out over large areas could begin to interact with each other in meaningful ways. This makes the idea of a globalised society possible. Vast areas where people come to understand themselves in one way or another as part of a shared collective. Within nation-states, political and economic elites could manage the day-to-day lives of vast populations of people. The nation-state, characterised by its technologies for managing the circulation of ideas, people and goods, is a system through which political and commercial elites can exercise power. Bernays was writing in the shadow of World War II, the rise and fall of Nazi Germany with its propaganda machinery, the emerging Cold War between the mass societies of Soviet Russia and the United States, both societies that used a large media and cultural machinery to control daily life. While Bernays warns we must recognise modern communications as a potent force for social good or possible evil. Perhaps most importantly, though, he makes the point that whoever leads complex mass societies will need to master the techniques of communication. By this he means not just the capacity of a leader to deliver compelling rhetoric, but more fundamentally, the ability to build and maintain media and cultural institutions that engineer consent. Over time, engineering consent makes forms of coercive power less necessary. Societies and their populations broadly agree to their own monitoring and control of themselves and their fellow citizens.